Alrighty, welcome to At The Movies. It starts today. How many of y'all enjoyed the movie Inception? Alright, that's a, by the way, how many of y'all are really thirsty right now? <laughs> Alright, gotta love popcorn, huh? You know, one of the things, I, I love movies. I love watching movies. I love going to the movies. I love hanging out with friends and just, uh, uh, I just, I love movies. In fact, when I was a kid... I would, uh, you know, sometimes you would sneak into the movies and you would pay to go see one movie and then you would go to the bathroom and hang out for like 30 minutes and then go see another movie, you know, and, or you'd sneak in candy and stuff like that. I was, I was with a couple of people in my small group and I, t- I was telling them about me sme- uh, sneaking stuff into the movies, like stuff to eat. Biggest thing I've ever snuck into the movies was a watermelon, a whole watermelon, and, um, of course, you know, we opened it up and ate watermelon while we were watching Star Wars A New Hope. So, got to love that. Um, you know, one of the things that I like about movies is you can kind of just kind of hang out and you, you get to hear a good story. Because, really, what makes a good movie is the story. You, make, you can have the best actors in the world. You can have the best special effects. You can have all of that. But if the story is lacking, then you're not going to enjoy it. And one of my biggest complaints about going and spending nine fifty to go see a movie or eleven fifty if it's three D, and the story's not good and all this stuff, uh, it's just recycling of stories. You know, so many times uh, it, it seems like I, as I'm sitting here watching the movie, going, I think I've, I think I saw this. I loved Avatar. All right, I saw that in three D. But as I'm sitting here watching, I'm going, I think I saw this. I think it was called Dances with Wolves. And then, and then, and what's amazingly is I liked Dances with the Wolves, but then they did a remake of Dances with Wolves. And you know what they call that? The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. And it's just like, wow, it just it kind of, you recycle this. The thing I liked about Inception is it didn't, it didn't feel like a recycled movie. In fact, it was uh, the whole premise of it. By the way, if you haven't seen it, I am going to ruin this for you today. All right. Um, is, is this. The whole premise is the fact that this fella, the main character by the name of Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is um, a corporate raider. And it, what he does is he goes into people's dreams and he steals their secrets. And, um, uh, and it's kind of like a dream within a dream within a dream. And it's very hard. In my, it was very hard for me to kind of, where am I at? In fact, when I saw it the second time, it felt, now I kind of understand it. Um, but the first time, I was like, I think I'm lost. It was a long movie. It was two hours and 28 minutes. And hopefully, this won't be a long sermon. So, and that's your cue to say. All right, cool. Now, uh, as you just saw, Cobb has a problem. Cobb can't get home. Now, he's an American who cannot go back to the United States. And the reason why he can't, be, can't, can't go back to the United States is because he was framed for a murder he didn't commit. He was framed for the murder of his wife, Maul. So he is living on the run. And uh, living on the run is taking its toll because he just can't come back home. He can't go see his two children, his little son and his little daughter. And he's dying to get back home. But he can't erase this, his name. He can't, he can't just get rid of these charges. But yet, this gentleman you saw, Saito, he said, you know what? I can make it all go away. But instead of stealing something, stealing an idea, I'm asking you to go into a rival entrepreneur in his dream, and I want you to go three levels deep into his subconscious. And I want you to not steal an idea, but I want you to plant 
an idea. And the whole, the whole concept of this is called inception. Inception is where you go in into the subconscious three levels deep and you plant an idea. But there's a danger going that deep into somebody's subconscious is that you may not come back out. Watch this clip. Three layers down, dreams are going to collapse with the slightest disturbance. Sedation. For sleep, stable enough to create three layers of dreaming, we'll have to combine it with an extremely powerful sedative. creates a very clear connection between dreamers whilst actually accelerating brain function. In other words, it gives us more time on each level. Brain function in the dream will be about 20 times normal. When you enter a dream within that dream, the effect is compounded. It's three dreams, it's 10 hours I'm times sorry. 20. Uh, math was never my strong subject. How much time is that? It's a week, the first level down. Six months, the second level down. And the third level. It's 10 years. Who'd want to be stuck in a dream for 10 years? So, a totem. You need a small object, potentially heavy, something you can have on you all the time that no one else like knows. Like a coin? No, it needs to be more unique than that. Like, this is a loaded die. I can't let you touch it. That would defeat the purpose. See, only I know the balance and the weight of this particular loaded die. That way, when you look at your totem, you know beyond a doubt that you're not in someone else's dream. Here. Yeah, I was just—I was working on my totem, actually. Here, take a look. So you're learning, huh? An elegant solution for keeping track of reality. Was it your idea? No, it was, uh, it was Maul's, actually. This, this one was hers. She'd spin it and the dreamer would never talk. Just uh, spin and spin. So there you have it. They, uh, uh, they're going three levels deep, and the danger is getting lost and losing all concept of reality. Um, in fact, uh, this whole fear of getting lost in somebody's mind is exactly what happened to Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, his wife, Maul. Is they get lost uh, in the subconscious, and... Um, they live for the next 60, 65 years. They grow old together. And then only to wake up and to realize that it was just a dream. It was just a dream. So that's the reason why they created these whole intricate thing. Of, they actually call them a totem. And in, this, in the movie, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, he has this little top. And every time he comes out of a dream state, he spins it just to make sure that he's not, in, he's not dreaming. Because every time he spins it in the dream, it just stays. And it never does wobble. It never does fall down. But in the real world, it spins and it eventually falls down. So that's when he realizes, okay, now I'm not dreaming anymore. So exactly, exactly this whole fear of getting lost is what happened to Cobb and Maul. And they lived 60, 65 years only to realize that it was just a dream and that they had wasted their real time and their real life. It reminds me of a verse that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said this, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I came so that they can have, what's that next word? Real. I came so that they can have real and eternal life and more a better life than they ever dreamed of. You know, God wants us to really live. God just doesn't want us to get sidetracked by dreams, even if they're our own dreams for our lives. God wants us to experience real life. In fact, an abundant life. I mean, a life that's centered not on just what we can dream, because God wants to give us more than we can ever dream of. God doesn't want us to waste our life dreaming, but really living. And maybe that's the reason why you showed up here at One Church this morning. It's because you feel like you've been living your life, and your life has been revolving around your dreams. And your dreams are starting to turn into a nightmare. Because it was your dream that said, you know what, if I could just get this job, if I could just get these friends, if I could just get married to him, if I could just have children, if we could just get this house, and we have a tendency to revolve our life around a dream. In fact, some people call this the American dream. But the, the, the key of it is, is all of those dreams, and they may be great, all of those dreams, if you devote your life to it, you're going to spend your life searching and you're going to spend your life wanting more because it leaves you empty because you and I were meant for so much more. Knowing that you were meant for more is exactly what Jesus was saying. More than just giving us giving into our own petty dreams. God is whispering in your ear this morning that there is more to this life than just what you've been giving your heart your life, and your time to. There is more to this life than just what you're doing now. That more to this life he's talking about only comes with a closeness and a relationship with Jesus. The problem is, we have an enemy that wants to keep us in this dreamlike stupor. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to experience true, real life. We, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to wake up and to really live. In fact, Jesus said that enemy who that enemy was. A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. Who is that thief? Well, the Bible clearly says that that, that thief is Satan. In fact, the first inception happened not with Leonardo DiCaprio, but the first inception happened... Years, thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You see, God created people, the human race, to have a relationship with Him. God created Adam and Eve so that they could have a relationship with their Creator. And God created a home for Adam and Eve called the Garden of Eden. In fact, let's start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the, any tree of the garden. Tree, you may freely eat of any fruit in the tree of the garden, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to what? Die. Very good. So God created man and woman, and God gives them some very clear instructions. You can eat of all the other trees in the garden, but this one tree in the center of garden, you, you should not eat of it. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and let's look at the first inception. 
Genesis 3.1 says, The serpent, by the way, that serpent is Satan. The serpent asked the woman, Did God really say to you that you must eat, you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? You see, Satan planted a thought into Eve's mind. Satan spoke to Eve and planted a thought and brought doubt into Eve and Adam's mind. And it's the first inception. And look at how Eve responds. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it. Now what's that next? those next words? Or even touch it, for if you do, you will die. Now, just a quick question. What was God's command to them? He says you can eat of all the trees, but that one tree, you should not eat it. Did he say anything about touching it? No, not at all. And the reason why I want to talk about that is when we don't, when you and I don't know what God's word has to say, when you and I aren't clear on what God's word says, then it's easy for someone to incept our thoughts and to plant doubt. And we start second guessing God. It is so crucial. It is so crucial that you and I know God's word. And let me tell you what that takes. That takes more than just you coming to church and listening to God's word. You have to be in God's word daily. You have to be in it daily. Because if I mean, what she does is she she adds to God's Word. Okay, yeah, we shouldn't eat it and we shouldn't touch it. And that's just as bad as taking stuff away from God's Word. Because both is changing God's Word. Now look at this. This is what, how Satan responds. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan plants doubt and says, you will be just like God, and you will be calling the shots. You will be in control. You, I mean, you don't want to be following God. He's just trying to keep you down. No, 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 no. You, if you eat this thing, it's not going to go bad for you. And you know what? He changes the truth slightly. He just, he just, he doesn't say, he doesn't just say a huge lie. He says parts of what God has said, and he just twists it slightly. And that's exactly what Satan does to you and I. He doesn't just feed us just bold, bold-faced lies because our mind would reject that. But what he does is he just he takes something and he just twists it just a hair so it's not really truth, but it's not quite a lie either. And then in that little twisting of that truth, that's not quite truth, that's where doubt creeps in and our faith begins to wane and we have confusion and we don't know quite what's going on and it well satan incepts us this is what he says in verse six the woman was convinced by the way what part of the body do you use to convince yourself of something what was that the mind. When you convince yourself of something, you are thinking about something. We're going to think about that because if you think about it, Cobb, the whole battlefield all happened in the mind. All right. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Now notice, there is a huge... I mean, she's getting ready to take a bite of it. And what she thinks first and then she uses her eyes and she's attracted to it and then she takes hold of it. Look at this. She wanted wisdom it would give her, so she took 
of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. By the way, Adam was standing right there the entire time. He ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. They suddenly felt shame. Satan planted in our minds a lie, and from our minds come our actions. And that uh, the twisting of that one little truth at that first inception, it literally changed the game for the rest of eternity. It changed everything. Now back to the movie. Cobb and his band of, of thieves... What they're getting ready to do, Sido is getting ready to, to say, listen, I want you to go into a rival entrepreneur. His name is Fisher. And I want you to go into his subconscious, his thoughts, and I want you to incept. I want you to plan an idea. His father just passed away, and he is literally right on the edge of gaining this entire empire. This entire empire. And I want you to plant in his mind, I want you to bust it up. I want, I want our biggest rival, who is Fisher, I want him to come and I want him to bust up the company. So that Saito, the guy you just saw, he is now Monopoly. Now just to give you a heads up, that's not the best decision for Fisher. Right? I mean, this is not a Harvard Business School move. Right? I mean, he is getting ready to bust up his inheritance and ruin everything personally for himself. And you, you think about it, that's exactly what happened to you and I. Satan, he whispered into Adam and Eve's mind. He said, listen, why don't you do this? And if you do this, you know, you're going to be like God. And they're like, okay, that sounds good. And you know what? Satan didn't have Adam and Eve's best interest at heart. And that's exactly what we see in this movie. I mean, Fisher is getting ready to bust up his, his, his company. And it's not even his thought. It's a thought that has been given to him. And he's going to lose his inheritance. And just like in the movie, we lost our inheritance. We lost having a true and abundant life. Back to John chapter 10, verse 10. I came so that you can have real and eternal life, a better life than you have ever dreamed of. And you know, there's a, a, one of the things I love about this movie, one of the best scenes that I like about it, is close to the beginning, Cobb uh, goes into this kind of this opium den of dreams, this underground where everybody's just sitting there and they're dreaming. And they go there and they dream 10 hours a day. And they're escaping from their reality. Someone says their dream has become their reality and who are you to say otherwise for them? You think about it, one of the ways that we can deal with not really experiencing the life that we really want that true, that real, that abundant life, is we just turn up the music. Think about it. I mean, so many times people, they will escape to addictions, whether it be pornography, pleasure, whether it be food, stuff, a job. Um, I mean, whatever it is, they escape to all of these addictions, pleasure, sex, so that, that they're hoping that those things will give them purpose and meaning in their life. But really, they don't give you purpose or meaning in your life. It just leaves you more hollow. It's only God who created us that can give us that purpose and meaning in our lives. If we, now this is so cool, if we are going to experience real life, then we're going to have to change the way we think. Because Satan, at the very beginning, attacked the way we think. 
He planted a lie. He incepted our thoughts. If we're going to get out of this dream stupor that you and I are living in, and you know what I'm talking about, well, you get up in the morning, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you get food, you go to the work, you work there for 10 hours, you come back home, you get in bed, you wake up the next morning, you brush your teeth, you eat breakfast, you go off, and you do that for 50 years. And we're in a rut. You and I aren't really experiencing the true and abundant life that Jesus says by just doing that stuff. No, God wants to wake us from the stupor that you and I are in. And in order for that to happen, he has to, he has to change the way we think. He has to look at changing our mind. Because it's not just about buying and selling and getting more stuff that's going to feed this huge hole in our life. Let me tell you what I know about you and I. You want your life to count, don't you? I mean, some of you, you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, 60 years old, and you don't want to live your life in vain. And I don't want to live my life in vain either. The only real security that we're not going to live our life in vain is if we live our life like Jesus is telling us to. And that means we have to change the way we think. For the rest of the morning, I want to talk about that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you have uh, the version downloaded on your smartphone, you can follow us on there as well. All right, let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Now, by the way, you want to know, you want to know, you want to live a life that's acceptable to God? This is the secret found in these verses. This is the truly way, this is the true way to what? Worship him. All right, now let's talk about that. When you think of the word worship, what do you think about, honestly? What do you think about? Hello? Singing, absolutely. Totally. That's what I think of. I think of singing. Uh, Somebody else, when you think about worship, anything else you think about when you think about worship? Praying, that's good. Maybe raising your hands. I mean, there's something about a good song that comes up. And, and, and sometimes I get this like when I'm at church or I'm on the radio and it's like, oh, man, that song. And I just, I'll raise my hand and you kind of get those chill bumps. Anybody know what else I'm talking about? I, it's just like, yeah. And that's a lot of times what I think. Now, depending on your dominational background and kind of your label, worship to you may have been like running the aisles and jumping pews and like hurtling. All right. That word, you know, that's cool. I ain't no thing. But see, let me tell you. We think worship is singing and playing an instrument or putting up our hands. And what this verse says is that's not quite worship. This verse helps us understand what worship truly is. In fact, I want to read to you a different version of this one verse. And it, gives, it sheds a little bit of light on what real worship is. Look at this. So here's what I want you to do. This is from the message. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your, what does it say? Everyday, what? Ordinary life. You're what? Sleeping. Give me the next one. Eating. What's the next one? Going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. 
I, I like this verse because it helps me understand what it really is. What worship really is. See, we think worship is a Sunday thing. But that's not worship. That's singing. What worship is to God is a Sunday thing, Monday thing, Tuesday thing, Thursday thing. It's something, it's what we do all through the week. You see, he doesn't say, I want you to give give us just your Sunday singing, playing a guitar, playing the drums, playing, you know, um, an accordion. They're coming back. Just give you a heads up. All right. I mean, he, that, that, see, that's easy. That's easy. What he's saying to you and I is very simply, no, no, no. I just don't want an emotion. I don't want to just, I don't want to just have, just talk about music here. I don't want you, I want to talk more than just having a tingly sensation. That's not worship. That's emotion. True worship is something that takes place in your will. True worship is something that you decide to do up here. Because God doesn't just want your songs or just to raise our hands. No, He wants your everyday, ordinary life to make much of Him. God doesn't want all of just just this one day of the week called Sunday. He wants your sleeping. He wants your eating. He wants what you're watching. He wants what you're listening to. He wants uh, he, He wants what you're doing at work. He wants to be the Lord and the God of your finances. That's huge. You see, that's more than just, you know, kumbaya. Some of you, you may have heard that song. Some of y'all are like, I don't think I've heard that one. All right. You're never going to hear it here. Anyway. Um, but see, he wants more than just our singing because singing is too easy. He wants to be, he wants to be yes, in control of your singing voice, but he also wants to be in control of your voice that tells coarse jokes around the water cooler. You know, yeah, he wants to be the, the God and calling the shots of you raising your hands in worship. But he also wants to be the God calling the shots when you raise your, your finger, when you flip somebody off because somebody has cut in front of you. He, he wants, yeah, I mean, he wants to be the Lord of every part of your life. He wants to be the Lord of what you spend your money on. I mean, that's a huge one. In fact, one of the things the Bible says so clearly that if you really want to know what you worship, look at your checking register. Look at your bank statement. And that will show you exactly what you worship. You know, we should have great worship during our songs and praise and all that stuff. But the best time of worship should be when we, when you, when we get to give our money back to God because He first gave it to us. That's huge. That's huge. Man, so he says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. You know, how many of y'all remember like the, the commercial, the, the staples? You know, that was easy, that little old easy button, you know what I'm saying? Let me tell you when it comes to the Christian life, there is no easy button. Y'all know that? There isn't any easy button. I mean, let me tell you what Christianity in its essence, once you begin your relationship with God, if you want to grow in your relationship, let me tell you what that looks like. That's a long obedience in the same direction. In fact, let's all say that. Long obedience in the same direction. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, let me tell you what it's going to take is for you to have a long obedience in the same direction. And, I mean, one of the keys of of growing closer to God is that you read your Bible every day. That you pray to Him every day. 
that, that we serve, that we give. It's these things that we go, oh, please, do we have to talk about that again? But I promise you, it's one of those things. I'll give you an example on this one. Uh, I, I, uh, the end of May, I got finished reading the Bible through, uh, through the entire year. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so stoked about that. So I read it through. And, you know, it took about three weeks for me to get back into the Bible after that. This is just me being real with you. I'm a preacher. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to start so soon, you know, because I just got finished being done. And I remember talking to a fellow who holds me accountable. And I was just saying, man, I'm struggling in my attitude right now. I'm struggling in my faith. And, uh, and he asked me, he says, well, you know, are you reading? I'm like, no, I'm not. And, and he says, you know, well, that's probably your problem, don't you think? Now, of course, me being a godly man, I wanted to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> but you know what? He was exactly right. Because you know what? When you're consistent, you know, there's sometimes, i got to be honest with you, I read my Bible, I don't get anything out of it. I'm in Leviticus. I can't even spell that. Right. And I'm in it and I'm like, oh, please, Lord, you know, take me to some, take me to a happy place. Right. And, and I, but I, you keep on plugging away because there's something about not quitting and not giving up and you keep on keeping on. You just don't stop it. There's no easy button here. So if you're going to experience a John 10, 10, 10, 10 life, a real and eternal life, you got to change. You got to change the way you think. But there's even more to it than that. In fact, look at uh, uh, the end of uh, verse 2. That, uh, I love how this says. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Uh, the message says it like this. Don't become so well adjust, adjusted to a culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And then I love the Phillips paraphrase. He says this. Don't let the world squeeze you into its what? Mold. All right. Now here, I have, I have putty. Now, I remember Silly Putty growing up because, you know, you can take it and you can twist it and you can roll it. And, you know, the thing I liked about it is it was moldable. I can take this and if you exert enough pressure, you can pretty much do, make it do whatever you want to. And that is exactly like our minds. Our minds are like, it's like putty, it's like Play-Doh. And what he's saying here is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. The point is, if you want to experience a true and abundant life, then what's going to have to happen is you can't fit in with everybody else. Now, that's difficult because none of us want to be strange, right? How many of y'all want to be strange? All right? Nobody does. Right. In fact, I was at Sonic and I was blowing my horn and yelling at somebody because you know, I knew him. And the friend of mine who was with me this morning going, Chris, there are people watching you. Stop. You know, and I, you know, I just but all of us, we want to fit in. It's just like, you know, this is a little too crazy. You know, let's don't do this. I mean, the, and, and what he's saying is just don't let the world squeeze you into whatever it's going to make you. In fact, he says this, don't copy the behaviors and the custom of this world, but let God, what is that next word? Well, I'm sorry, this is an off-skate morning. What is that next word? Really loud. Transform. Let God transform you into a new person. Now, how does he do that? By what? Changing what? The way you think. The way you think. Next, the same... Same verse, different translation. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but instead let yourself be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. Our big idea today is this. Transformed thoughts lead to a transformed life. Transformed thoughts lead to a transformed life. If you want to experience true life that God gives you and I, then you and I have to allow God to transform our thoughts. And the only way that is going to be able to happen is if we submerse our body, our head, all of our thoughts into God's Word. I mean, it's just that clear. In fact, the word transformed in the original Greek, it's, it's called it's metamorphosis, And it sounds like what? metamorphosis. In fact, it's exactly what happens to a caterpillar when it changes into a butterfly, right? I mean, you have this ugly, nappy caterpillar that you want to see on the ground and you want to squash and see how far the guts will go out, right? It's like, yeah! I got three boys at home. It's what we do for fun. I do want to let you know that no animal was hurt during the filming of this sermon, though. Throw that out there. All right? Here's the thing. Thank you. Somebody's with me. All right. But, you know, I don't really like caterpillars because they look kind of nasty. But when they get in that cocoon and there's a metamorphosis, there's a transformation, they, 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 they grow into this beautiful butterfly or a beautiful moth. And that's exactly what happens with us. Is we turn from a caterpillar to something of beauty and we starting, we're starting to experience true life when God changes the way we think. Give you four examples. Uh, so many times I, I do a lot of counseling and um, people will come to me and they'll say, listen, you know, I show, you know, they'll show up in the office and they'll say, I want to get a divorce. I want to get a divorce. And we, and I, we ask, you know, okay, why do you think you want to get a divorce? And we hear every reason in the book. But let me tell you, Jesus says, I want you to think differently. In fact, he says in Matthew five twenty eight, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness commits adultery. Give you another one. I talk to people all the time who are filled with bitterness and anger. And they'll, they'll, they'll show up and they, they're either not willing to forgive somebody else or not willing to forgive themselves. And, um, and, and it may have happened years ago, but they still can't forgive that person. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 6.15, if you refuse to give others, your father will not forgive your sins. Let me give you another one. I know guys who don't see a problem at all by looking at, at a, a woman who's good looking and take a second look and a third look and then a gawk with some drool. And then they're like, you know, I'm just window shopping. Yet Jesus says, I want you to think differently. I want you to be transformed. And he says in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart with her. I've heard people say, you know what? I'm struggling with my finances. Can you come and would you mind, can the church help me pay the bills? Can the church help me or, or can, you know, can you just help us through that? And they're drowning in debt and all this stuff. And yet in Matthew 6, by the way, this is all from the same sermon that Jesus preaches. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. You want me to fix your checking account problems, then you need to put your checking account with me first. Yet nobody likes doing that. Nobody likes hearing that because we think, oh, it's just the church and they just want more money. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with our heart. Because God wants us to be transformed in the way we think. That's huge. That's countercultural. And that's a metamorphosis. Transformed thoughts lead to a transformed life. Transformed thoughts lead to a transformed life. You, I mean, some of you are here today. And the reason why you're here today is because your thoughts have brought you exactly where you're here. 
You're, you are today what your thoughts have brought you to up to this point, And you're going to become tomorrow what you're thinking. Because transformed law, thoughts lead to a transformed life. Some of y'all, y'all have seen this. Y'all ever seen this like, it's these little capsules that you can drop in water and they grow. You know what I'm talking about? Like I've been, I've, I, this one right here has been sitting in water. And I, my kids love these because we put them in the bath and the hot water kind of, when you put the capsule in, you really don't know what it looks like, right? And then after it's been sitting in water for a while, it just starts kind of coming together. Here's a sailboat with a sail. The thing I like about this is this is exactly how the picture of our life. So many of us, we want to God, give us the picture of our life. We, we see our life like this right now as a capsule. And we're like, God, show me what you want me to do. We want to see the true picture, but show me what you, what you want me to do. And we will never, ever know what God wants us to do unless we, are, we submerse ourselves in God's word. And it's amazing, God's word and the warmth of God's word will start unfolding a plan for your life that you don't know of yet. But it only comes when you submerse your mind into God's word and you will get a clear picture of what he wants you to do. But it's only through God's word. It's only through God's word. You're never going to ever know it. Now, let's close this. And I want to put all of these verses together in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your ordinary, everyday life. You're sleeping, eating. What's that next one? Going to work. Walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Don't copy the behaviors and the custom of this world, but let God what? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, now here's the result. Here's the result if you do that. Then you will learn to know what, what? God's will for you. I mean, so many of us, that's what we're talking about today. If you want to know, if you want to experience God's true abundant life for you, if you want to know what God wants you to do in this situation, then this is what you have to do. And, get, and, and then he gives us characteristics of God's will. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is what? Good. That's the first one. What's the next one? Pleasing. And what's the third? Perfect. Let's talk about that as we unpack that. Good. God's plan for you is good. It's not evil. Do you know that God is not this cosmic killjoy in, in the sky? And when he sees you starting to smile, he goes, this is it. it's not what he does for you, right? He wants you to experience life and not just the best life you could come up with. In fact, how many of y'all, you think you could come up with some really good dreams of your life? Anybody? Because I can. I can dream big, baby, right? I can dream big. But you need to know this, that the best dreams that you have for your life, God has better ones for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to, to not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a peace. God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. It is good. It's not evil. The second characteristic, it's pleasing. It's pleasing. The, the, the Greek word there literally means satisfying, all right? For the past month, I don't know if my wife is in this service. I'm praying that she's not. 
Because the past month, we've been doing some honeydews around the house. All right? And, I mean, we have taken, we had 22 shutters that need to be taken down and painted. And then we hung them back up. Well, yesterday, we spent the entire day power washing the back of our house. We've painted the deck. By the way, we, we power washed the back of our house because our small group is coming over tonight. <laughs> and uh, all of this stuff. Baby, are you in here? Praise God. All right. Anyway, I'm safe. I'm not going to let her hear the podcast. I, I'm saying all this to say, you know what? I, I was hot yesterday. And I'm not just talking about good looking. I was hot and you know what? The only thing I wanted to get into my body was an ice cold water. Why? Because it's that ice cold water that truly satisfies. And let me tell you what God's plan for you, God's will for you will satisfy you. It will give you purpose. It won't leave you more empty. It will leave you filled up. And then the third characteristic is that it's perfect. Now, I like, I like perfect, but literally that original word there, it means it can't be stopped. I like that. I like that. That means it can't be... If you're doing what God is telling you to do, a long obedience in the same direction, He's transforming the way you think, you can't mess up your will for your life, God's will for your life. You can't do it. I mean, mean, if you're following God, you know what? You're not going to die when you're 30 when He meant for you to live when you're 60. Ladies who are single, when you're living your life the way God's telling you to live your life, you ain't got to worry about somebody dating and marrying your man. No. God's got your future taken there. It can't be stopped. I love that. I love that. So I'm encouraging you, if you want to experience that true life, you and I, we have to wake up and we have to change the way we think. Last scene of inception and probably my favorite one. In fact, as I was doing research for this teaching today, this is the one where everybody is still talking about a year later. Last scene of inception, Cobb finishes the job. He's, he's on this plane and he's planted the thought, he's incepted this thought into Fisher's mind and he is waking up And he's going, the plane is landing and he's going back to the United States. And he doesn't know if he's going to be able to get in or not. He doesn't know if he's going to be arrested on sight. And will he be able to see his two children? His his little boy and his little girl. Will he be able to see them? Will will Saito, will he make good on his promise to just, to, to fix it? Let's watch this.
all, Mr. Cobb. Thank you, sir. And that's the end of Inception, and you know, it's, it's, you're kind of left wondering, was it all a dream? I mean, it didn't topple over, but was it going to topple over? And you just, you kind of, you leave the theater just scratching your head going, did he really make it home? In fact, Christopher Nolan, the person who uh, directed this, this is what he says, I ended the last scene of the movie imposing an ambiguity. I always felt that it was the right ending to me. The real point of the scene isn't that Cobb, the real point of the scene is that Cobb isn't looking at the top anymore. He is looking at his children. He has left it behind. That is the emotional significance of this thing. What was reality? It didn't matter anymore. Why? Because he finally saw the face of his deepest affection and love, his children. He was lost in the love of his children. And in that moment, nothing else mattered. You know, amazing for us is that one day, all of us are going to be able to make it home as well. And one day, we're going to finally see not the faces of our children, but we're going to finally see the faces of our Creator, Jesus Christ. And when we see Him, the, the, the greatest hope of our devotion and our affection all of our spinning tops that we thought we were so enamored with and so clamoring to at the very all throughout our lives, they're not going to matter anymore. Because at that time, we're going to be face-to-face with our Savior. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, that we can, uh, we can come to you and we can look at a movie like Inception that really asks some pretty deep questions. And uh, God, I pray, Lord, that for all of us, so many of us, we have believed a lie. We believe the lie in the fact that we have believed that all of the stuff, all of the status, all of the jobs, all of that stuff will give us purpose. It will give us meaning. It will actually fill the God-shaped void in our lives. But really, ultimately, God, it won't because they can't. So, God, I pray for us. I pray for all of us today. 
Lord, that we would stop believing the lie that Satan has incepted in our minds. And Lord, that we would just be able to come and look at you face to face. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.